I invite you to kneel with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you that we're able to gather here in this worship center today. We thank you, God, that we're able to listen to you, to hear you. We thank you that you know exactly what's going on inside of our hearts, inside of our minds. You know the worries and the anxieties, the burdens that we're carrying. You know every thing about us. And we are yours. God, we ask that you would speak a word to our hearts, transform our hearts and our minds as we open your word. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. There are a lot of things that I'm not proud of in my life, but probably one thing that stands out is uh, what happened to me my freshman year in college. I had a roommate, a friend of mine from Louisiana, and uh, we lived in a dorm room on the four, first floor that was located by the mail room. So our, our room served as a, oh, I don't know, a den, a massive locker room for everyone else on the first floor or people who didn't even live in the dorm. We never kept the doors locked. So our room was a complete and utter mess. I don't mean a little bit messy. I mean an absolute disaster. You probably really needed a hazmat suit to walk into our room. There were old domino pizza boxes left open, stacked around the room. I'm sure a lot of them were eaten by Trey Gowdy himself. There was old McDonald wrappers everywhere. Uh, a lot of my friends like to chew tobacco and dip. I know none of you do that, but they would leave these cups full of dip in them. Absolutely disgusting. There was Coca-Cola stain on some of the sheets. There were papers. There were papers wadded up all over the floor. We had a sink in our room, kind of like in a prison. You have your little sink there. And our sink was like this, this brown and yellow color. It was originally white, but our, our sink was discolored because of all the filth and grime. So I remember we got to the pinnacle of our mess around Parents' Weekend. And so the thing about Parents' Weekend was parents would come up on a Saturday and they would have a chance to go to the dorm rooms and go to a football game and to see their kids and how great they're doing in college, right? Well... My dad, as you know, was a pastor. He works on weekends. My roommate's dad was a football coach. He works on weekends. So our parents weren't going to show up on parents' weekend, and we as sure as heck weren't going to clean up our room. So I remember it was Saturday morning. I went down the hall where the bathrooms were located, and I came back looking down the hall, and I saw a group of parents in a semicircle pointing at my room, motioning to other parents, saying, hey, come here, look at this, you won't believe it. And so I walked back down the hall, made my way through the crowd to get into my room. There's my roommate sitting there in this big you know, pile of filth, our room, and he finally said to the parents, get out of here, okay? And so they scrammed and got out of there, but, but I will never forget that day. I will never forget how utterly messy, cluttered, and chaotic, actually, uh, probably unsanitary, my room was. Now, 
It's bad enough that it was that messy. The worst thing about it is, is that we tolerated it. We, we normalized it. We lived in it for nine months. And I, I thought about that and what we've been looking at the last several weeks. And I thought about how the same thing can happen to us internally. If you look at your mind, your brain as a dorm room of thoughts and ideas and concepts, many times our mind becomes cluttered, littered with all types of toxic and destructive thoughts. It's interesting, we all have this voice going on inside of our head, this ongoing silent dialogue or monologue. And where the voice comes from inside of your head and my head, I don't know. That would take an entire message to deal with that alone. I just know that I have a voice going on inside my head, and you do too. And many times, the default mode of that particular voice inside of our head that's talking to us all the time is negative. It's self-judgmental. It's self-condemning. It's also self-sabotaging. You notice that. So if we don't clean up our mind, if we don't get a grasp on these thoughts, on these patterns of thinking, it can wreak havoc on our emotions, on our body, and especially in our relationship with God and others. If we don't deal with the toxic world, the toxic dialogue and thoughts that are going on inside the dorm room of our minds. Now, thankfully, God gives us a new way to deal with the chaos and the dirt and the worry and the anxiety that builds up inside of your mind and inside of my mind. He gives us a new way to do that. And I know you're not going to be surprised, but that new way is found in Philippians chapter 4. So we've been looking at Philippians chapter 4 the entire summer. Philippians 4, I believe, is the most encouraging, practical chapter in the Bible. Incredible chapter, great wisdom, iconic advice and quotes flow out of Philippians 4. And today we're going to look at how do we handle these negative, toxic thoughts that often produce Worry and anxiety and fear in our lives. So check it out, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Many of you who have heard this passage before, some of you this may be the first time. Here's what Paul says to these folks, the Philippians. And he says to us today, the Houstonians, or whoever is uh, listening or watching. Finally, brothers and sisters, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, think about such things. And the word there for think means to meditate. It means to ruminate. It means to allow the truth, the nobility, the, the love, the purity to flow into your minds and get deep down inside of your psyche and your soul. Focus on these things with the laser is what he's saying here. Think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received from me, put into practice. Put into practice. Do the work. Be proactive. 
Don't just sit there and soak. Do it. Apply it. And here's the promise. Remember last week we had a promise as well? The promise is the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I want that. I want the peace of God in my life. And I want to know that the God of peace is with me always. I I need that. I want that. I desire that. But so many times when I look at this passage, I have to confess, if I can, here today, I do the opposite of what he's asking us or commanding us to think about, to dwell on, to meditate. Instead of thinking about whatever is true, I think about whatever is false, whatever is not noble, whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely and ugly, uh, whatever is despicable, if something is is wrong or twisted, I, I think about these things. And I don't follow people like Paul who are living out a life that is to be imitated. I do the opposite. And I feed my minds many times with the doom and gloom of of the media and what's feeding ourselves 24-7. And it creates a state of worry and anxiety and fear. And many times toxic thoughts inside my mind and what I'm speaking to myself. I do the opposite. Um, I've known for a long time in my life that I have to deal proactively, regularly with my thought life, what's happening in the dorm room of my mind. When I was 16 years old, my family had moved from the East Coast all the way to the great state of Texas. It was a big move for our family. I was in a new city. I was in a new school. I had no friends, and I was in an an alien environment in many ways, trying to find my way. And I can remember um, as a 16-year-old kid, you know, one night just having trouble going to sleep at night. And I tossed and turned and I counted sheep and got a glass of warm milk, all those things you hear about to do to help you fall asleep. And I couldn't go to sleep. My mind was just racing with fears and anxieties, worry. All these toxic thoughts were just flowing inside of my mind. And, and it was like it was going in, 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 in you know, fast motion, fast forward, and I couldn't slow it down. But at the same time, it was when um, the Iranians had taken those Americans hostage in the embassy there. And there was a headline at that time on the, in the Houston Chronicle that said, we're on the brink of World War III. And they were quoting the president of the United States at the time. I just seen the movie The Deer Hunter, which had that graphic scene of those POWs in the Vietnam War who were forced to play Russian roulette. And so I was thinking, man, I'm about to turn 18. We're going to be in World War III. I'm going to get drafted, and I'm going to be playing Russian roulette in some prison in some foreign country. That is going to happen to me. Talk about negative catastrophic thinking. That's what I was doing. So my mind was spinning and racing and worrying and filled with fear and anxiety. And so I didn't get a wink of sleep that first night. Second night rolled around, same thing happened again. The worry, the fear, and the anxiety got up next to me. 
third night in a row. I didn't sleep again. So that's three nights in a row that I got zero sleep. Now, a lot of you know this, maybe you don't. But if you go three nights in a row, even sometimes two nights in a row, without sleep, I don't care if you're Sigmund Freud or the Apostle Paul, you are going to go psychotic, okay? You are going to lose touch with reality. That's simply the way it is. That's why when people are torturing people, one of the first things they do is sleep deprivation. So I was kind of spinning out of control as a 16-year-old, kind of losing it a little bit, freaking out because I couldn't sleep, worried, and then worrying about my worry. And so finally my parents said, hey, we need to take him to the doctor. So I went to the doctor, talked to him. He talked some sense into me. And eventually, through some medical care and through prayer and through patience, I was able to get myself together, go back to school, and start living somewhat of a normal life as a high school student. Now, as I look back on that, you know, the term that people used back in that day for what was happening to me was someone is having a nervous breakdown. Now, the thing that was rare about that was I was 16 years old having a nervous breakdown, okay? I was a prodigy uh, in, in a sense to having a nervous breakdown. But I came out of it, and I'm thankful that I did, but it, but it taught me a very... A difficult but important life lesson as a 16-year-old. I knew from that point forward in my life, I was going to have to deal with my emotions, my anxiety in a very proactive way. I couldn't sit back and say, that'll never happen again. I had to figure out how I could deal with that, how I could deal with that mental aspect of my mind when my mind would race and when I couldn't go to sleep, what was I going to do about it? So starting way back then and then going into my adult years for the past 20 years, I've done a lot of study and research on this whole topic of fear and anxiety and getting a grip on that inner room, that inner dorm room called the mind or the brain to really take care of it. So I've, I've read a lot of theology, philosophy, and psychology as it relates to the brain and the mind and, and, and having healing and having health in that area. So fortunately for us, what I've discovered is the Bible has a lot to say to us about getting a grip on what's going on inside of our mind. The Bible puts a premium on the mind throughout the scriptures in the Old and the New Testament. We know the proverb, as a man thinketh, so is he. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. Body and soul. Love, the, love God with your mind. Romans 12 says we're transformed, we're changed. How? By the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians says what? We are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And today he is saying to us what? We need to focus, we need to meditate, we need to think on things that are pure, lovely, right, true, noble, excellent, praiseworthy. So the Bible has a lot to tell us about the mind, about getting a grip on that inner critic that lives inside of you that many times is self-condemning, self-judgy, and self-sabotaging. Now, what happens to us 
And what happened to me is that our mind can be grooved or programmed in a certain negative way. So the way we process external and internal events becomes grooved inside of our minds and inside of our brains. And these grooves are there, so they kind of just serve as a default position or a default reaction. Like your computer has its default settings for the printer or for the Word docs. It just automatically responds in a certain way. So if you start a, a, down a path where you are frequently given over to worry and anxiety and fear and these toxic thoughts that are going on inside of your mind, if you don't do something about that, then your brain becomes wired or grooved in a certain way to react in that negative, self-critical way. Does that make sense? So we get into these habits, these toxic thought habits, and a thought leads to an action, and action leads to character, and it leads to your life. So it's critical that we get a grip of what's going on inside of the theater of our mind, inside of the dorm room of our mind. Now, the good news is, if you look into neuroscience today, there's um, a lot of scientists, a lot of people are studying something called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity, the best I can understand as a layperson, is the brain's ability to form new grooves and new connections over time. So what we're discovering through brain scans and stuff is that when we start thinking a different way, a new way, and take actions on these new thoughts and new patterns, our brain actually changes, isn't this cool, and molds to form these new grooves and new patterns and new habits that will be healthy and productive rather than being destructive. It's really wild how God has created our brain with this malleability, if you would, to be able to change and to form new grooves. So how do we do that? We'll look at briefly some things that will help us to do that right now based upon this passage. Put it in three words, we have to change, challenge, and charge. Change, challenge, and charge. Let's say that together, ready? Change, challenge, and charge. One more time, a little louder. Change, challenge, and charge. The first thing that we have to do is to change what you think. You need to change what you think. Now, that sounds so easy. Oh, I can change what I think anytime. Can you? Try it. I, I dare you to try to change the way you brush your teeth. You can't change the way you write the letters A, B, and C. Why? Because they're, they're habits. You brush your teeth in a certain way, start in a certain way. You write the letter A, B, C in a certain way because you've been habituated to do that in that way. So to change the way you think or to change the way you do anything that's habitual to create these new grooves, you've got to be really intentional and really proactive in getting in touch with your negative thought patterns, your destructive thought patterns, your sinful thought patterns, if you would, and to replace it with new ways and modes of thinking and living. Dr. Carolyn Leaf uh, is is an interesting person. She's a cognitive neuroscientist, and she's also a Christ follower. 
And so she's done some research into the mind, into the brain, and, and what I'm talking about today. And here's what she says. Here's what she writes. She says, thoughts are real physical things that occupy mental real estate moment by moment every day. You are changing the structure of your brain through your thinking. When we hope, she says, it is an activity of the mind that changes the structure of our brain in a positive and normal direction. So when we begin this process and say, wow, I've got to get a grip on what's going on inside the dorm room of my mind. I've got to get a grip and get rid of these toxic thoughts and this worry and anxiety that it creates. I've got to do something different. Well, we, we've got to practice it, as Paul said. Think about these things and then put them into practice. Do it. And it's like learning a new skill. And so in the sports world, the sports psychology, they talk a lot about muscle memory. You've heard of muscle memory? Most of us have heard of muscle memory. So if you like to golf and you want to improve, you know, your score, your handicap, you'll probably find a pro or someone who can show you how to tweak your swing to make you hit the ball better. Okay? But in order to tweak your swing, as you know, if you've been playing the game for 5, 10, 15 years, it's difficult. Because like brushing your teeth, like writing ABC in your handwriting, you've been trained to automatically go to the old way of doing things. So it takes time, practice, 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, 10,000, 100,000 of thousands, millions and billions and trillions to really create a new way of doing something. And, and you do this and it's what they call a change in your muscle memory. Now, obviously, there's not a brain in your shoulders or in your wrists or in your grip. It's all in your mind. But it allows you to start doing something automatically once you change your swing. Once you change the swing of your mind and you start meditating and thinking about things that are right, that are pure, that are good, that are beautiful, then over time it changes those grooves, those dynamics inside of your mind, physiologically speaking. And it has spiritual implications. It's, it's really fascinating. So the first way we have to deal with this, this toxicity in our minds, is to change what you think. The second thing you have to do is this, is that you have to challenge the lies Challenge the lies and half-truths. Because many times when you're listening to that inner dialogue inside of your heart and mind, part of what they're saying is true. When the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, part of what the devil said was true. When the devil tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, part of what the devil said is true. You know, the devil doesn't come to you in a pitchfork and, you know, red horns. <laughs> I am the devil. No, the devil's much more clever than that. So that's why we need God to help us. God, help me by your spirit to determine what thoughts in my minds are lies and half-truths that I need to deal with and get out. I think about uh, a lunch I had with a friend of mine, you know, a couple of years back. And again, he, he told me this story, and he said, hey, you can use this story with my permission. So I'm using the story. And he told me, and this guy's a great guy. He's, he's a great husband. He's a great dad. He's been very successful in business. He's very active and plugged into our church. 
great guy. I've known him for many, many years. But he said, you know, Ben, something happened to me a few years back. I wanted to share it with you. He said, I was up in the morning. I was having a quiet time. I was praying and reading the Bible. And a thought came into my mind. And the thought said this. It was something like this. He said, you're not a failure. You just don't measure up. You're not good enough. And time's running out. You're not a complete failure, but you really don't measure up if you compare yourself to other people. And time's running out. So my friend said, this, this random thought just kind of flowed into his mind, and he didn't know where they came from, but he started to think about it. And the next morning, he started rolling that thought over again. And the next morning, the next week, and the next week, and pretty soon it led my friend into a state of depression. And he was in there for a year until he began to renew his mind on God's word and challenge these lies that were able to pull him up out of this rut. He challenged the lies. So you have to challenge the lies. You have to speak directly to that inner critic inside of you that's condemning you for things that God's forgiven you for that's telling you that you're a loser, that nobody wants you, that you're not going to make it through it, or whatever. And you've got to deal and challenge those lies, those half-truths, as they flow into your mind. You've got to challenge them. That's what Paul's saying here in this passage. And, and, you know, it's interesting, too. You know, for me, once you start challenging these lies, you start to differentiate between the lie and who you are. And, and, it's, and it's really freeing to realize that the voice inside of your head, this inner critic, is not who you are. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You are who God says that you are. I am who God says that I am. And as we'll look at next week in Philippians 4, we can do what God says we can do. So when we challenge these lies, we challenge these half-truths, we stand up to this inner critic, we stand up to this bully inside of our brain, then we begin to get more freedom. Third thing we have to do is to charge your mind with whatever. Charge your mind with whatever. Did you notice that in Philippians 4? My kid's favorite word is mentioned over and over again. Whatever. Listen, charge your mind with whatever. Whatever is true, God defines what is true. God defines what is real. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, this is what we charge our minds with. Basically, we charge our minds with the mind of Christ because Christ is truth. Christ is noble. Christ is excellent. Christ is worthy of all of our praise. So we ask God, God, help me to replace these lies with the truth 
of your mind, the mind of Christ. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. Ruminate on these things. Speak these things into your life. Challenge the lies and the half-truths that are flowing into your heart and mind. And then he says, what? All these things you've learned and seen from me, put them into practice. Paul's like, guys, you know my story. You know that I've been beaten. You know that I have been tortured. I've got scars in my body. I've got a thorn in my flesh that God still will not heal. You know my suffering. You know my persecution. You know that I'm writing you from prison right now. You know my pattern of life. You know that I have persevered through many difficulties and hardships. So you need to follow that example is what Paul is saying. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Who do you desire to become? What do you desire to be in your life? We've got to have an example. We have to have a mentor. Paul is saying, I am your mentor. Follow me in the same way that I follow Christ. In perseverance and in faith and in love. Charge your minds with whatever and put into practice what I've been teaching you is what he's saying. And then, bonus, the God of peace will be with you. And that peace is such a rich word, especially in the Hebrew Jewish tradition. It means shalom. The city of God, Jerusalem, it means the peace of God, it means the flourishing of God, it means the prosperity of God, it means the blessing of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. It is the shalom of God. This God of shalom, this God of peace will be with you. That's the promise he has for us. As we renew our minds, as we get rid of the clutter and the chaos and the worry and the anxiety... And begin to focus and meditate on those realities of Christ, of being lovely and pure and right and excellent. The God of peace will be with you, whereas we talked about last week, the peace of God, the shalom of God will be with you. It doesn't mean that you will not have conflict in your life. It doesn't mean the peace of God that you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that there's no pushback, no persecution. No, it means in the midst of your diverse and ever-changing circumstances, this God of peace, this God of shalom will be with you and will guide you and will lead you. Life is too short. To live in a messy dorm room of our minds. God gives us a way out. He gives us a new way, a better way. To change. To challenge. And to charge our minds with the mind of Christ.
Let's do that today. Let's do that this week together.